everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 16, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Brian Croft. Brian is a guy that you may or may not have heard of before this show. If you follow me personally on social media, it'd be few and far between for appearances where you see us together, as he's currently living in Hillsboro, a suburb just to the northwest of Portland, Oregon. Brian has actually been one of my best friends for quite some time now, so I'm excited to introduce him to you. He and I first met when he came aboard the Scott team while he was living in Fort Worth, Texas. Through all of the changes in life that we've both had over the past 17 years, we've kept in touch, remained friends, and now I have the opportunity to introduce him to all of you. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, my friend. (laughs) My friend. That's funny. (laughs) So... This is a little different than the podcasts I normally do because we've been such good friends for so long, and I think you know that I always get a bio from my guests. Yours Mm -hmm. is like scripted out too perfect, and I'm like, you know, we just know each other too well for this. I'm just going to have it on the screen, and I'll make sure we touch everything. How's that? (laughs) I'm down. I'm totally into that. Yeah, and you, we're going to talk about your show later, but this is your first time as a guest on a podcast, correct? It is hilarious. I, I, I guess I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, I've, I've recorded lots of people and never, ever been the person being interviewed. So woohoo. Right. First time. <laughs> so typically, you know, like I said, I get that bio, but I think what we're going to do is I know, I know your history pretty much. You grew up in the North, the Northeast. I almost said the Northwest. You grew up in the <laughs> Northeast. Tell us a little bit about you, your history, where you grew up and how you got into motorcycles. Well, yeah. So. You know, I'm a I'm a kid of the 1900s, as my friend Craig likes to say. <laughs> um, I grew up in a tiny little farm town, middle of nowhere, in the center most probably part of uh, the state of New York. And you know, I don't know, I, no issues, good family life. You know, parents were together, all the all the all the stuff that kind of gives a kid, I think, a good start. I you know, definitely very lucky in that way. But if it's how did Brian gets some motorcycling. I think I would blame it on my now late parents because I had this motocross wallpaper in my room. It was a room I shared with my brother at that point, but I remember just staring as I'm, you know, in my room, getting ready to go to sleep at night, staring at the wallpaper and had these little dirt bikes and it said like USGP 1977, 1973. Like I guess it wouldn't have been 77 but I remember it being, you know, not many years before I was born. And once, once I started realizing what, you know, time and years meant as a kid, but mm-hmm. uh, just seeing pictures of dirt bikes on my wall. And uh, I think I, I blame it on them. That it was their fault. How did they come across that wallpaper? Was your brother into it? I mean, your brother's older. No. Right? Yeah, no, no. I, I have no idea. I don't know if it was just like, uh, this is a boy's room, you know, and it's going to have whatever little boys might like, but. My, neither my mother nor my father were into motorcycles or road or anything else. In fact, I remember being, you know, old enough that I could ask, when can I have a dirt bike? And I was told, no, those are dangerous. You're not going to have one of those. So maybe it was a <laughs> forbidden fruit, if you will. We're going to torture you with this wallpaper of cool stuff that you can never have. And what's funny is when I moved away, or, or maybe it was after when my dad moved out of that house years after my mom passed, I got a small roll of that paper somebody found it and and gave it to me so 
I've actually got that wallpaper and I keep thinking I need to make like a little frame something out of it, you know? Yeah, for so sure. It sits in my garage and at some point hopefully I will. I did not know that. That's cool. <laughs> Funny stuff, huh? <laughs> it is. Where did you get started in bikes? It was dirt bikes, obviously, but what was your first bike? Do you remember that? Yeah, a little Honda Trail 50. And it was, so my mom's best friend, who is, you know, like a mother to me still, her son is a few years older than me. And he always had a dirt bike. I remember him having like an XR75, you know, just always super cool stuff. And he'd go rip around his backyard, his backyard backed up to like train tracks and in a creek. Um, so he did some sort of, I don't know, river bottom sort of stuff, you know, that probably bad dirt, but moved easy and, and was lots of fun for him. And I'd go and watch him. And then it was like, I'd ride a little bit with him. And I think that's where it kicked off for me. And, and that I think that's where that Trail 50 came from. If I, I might be wrong, but I think that's where it came from was from him. One of his old bikes kind of thing. Yeah. That led you to eventually racing. So how did that come about in a family where motorcycles are forbidden? Yeah. Um, well, I guess let me think back now. You're, you're digging in, and, and these are all fun <laughs> things to, to connect the dots back on. Um, and sometimes our memory, as I'm almost 50, my memory doesn't, it, it fills in the gaps with things that are maybe a little different than reality, but that's how your brain tells the story. But I know that, you know, I had trail bikes and, um, you know, just stuff around the yard. And then I had quads, you know, at one point when, when they had three and four wheelers were pretty hot. And then and I'm trying to remember, you know, I did do a stint a couple of years racing BMX. And I think maybe that, and I knew what motocross was. And then I had a neighbor friend that raced BMX. And of course, we raced around the yard in the neighborhood on bicycles all the time. So that was one that I think my parents had no issue with. So I raced some BMX with, uh, with my old neighbor. And he was really good. And I was really terrible. I had a <laughs> jeans on with, with the pant leg tape so it wouldn't get caught in the sprocket and it was an old you know boat anchor of a huffy so i was racing against guys on just ultra light you know bmx race stuff and i had my huffy but i won some races in the whatever it was 10 11 novice class something like that so i'd say that was my entry into racing and sort of the pieces of racing that you know jived you know with me and it, you know the you know, if you want it done, get it done yourself. And, uh, you know, you, you'll, you'll sink or swim on your own. You, know, you can go out and cruise around the track if you like, or, you, you know, you, you don't have to rely on others. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, I think we're starting that. And then I think it was junior high. I raced the air scramble, a little Honda CR 80. And that was fun, but it was an hour long. You know, I wasn't prepared to race for an hour in the woods and it was awesome. And I enjoyed it, but I remember the first one and then the second one, I feel like I did a handful of those. And, uh, man, the, the part I just kept thinking, well, if I could only do that, and that was the motocross section. It was that track that was, you know, the track was not in good shape. It was rough. I think, I think for me, it was at that point that I realized, you know, racing, racing the motocross component, you know, if I could do just that, I'd be very happy. So I did. Sure. I remember the first woods race I did. I hated it because I was a motocross guy. So it just seemed like, it seems like when you hit people, they move, but when you hit trees and things, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah, absolutely. Been there, done that. Yeah. You made it quite a ways through the ranks racing motocross as well. Right. Once you made that complete switch. Yeah. You know, I guess so. You know, what, how does it go? 
little fish, big pond, big fish, little pond, right. all yeah, things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think my first season was understanding how racing went. And, uh, that was, I think in like 89 ish, 1989. But then I think my first full year I was in the 250 open novice and we had full gates. So it was, you know, it was a, it was a small district upstate New York. It's, you know, CNYMRA, Central New York Motocross Racer Association, District 3 in the AMA. We had full gates. And the first year, um, you know, I won the Open 250 Open Novice class, you know, I guess. And the then, solid of course, first that year. Means, yeah. And then, of course, that means you move up. And my, I think it was my first race in the B class in the, in the 250 amateur. And, uh, I thought, man, you know, I can get a start. I know how to get a start and, uh, went and got a start and then got bumped in the first corner and fell down and about 20 people ran me over. So <laughs> that was my first, my first race. And, uh, and of course, as you know, that gives you a bit of a, of a, I don't know, a PTSD of sorts where you have a problem engaging, you have a problem getting starts, you have a problem, you know, the, the, the decisiveness you need in that sport uh, was gone for, I don't know, a handful of races after I came back. It took me, uh, I think I was out for a week as a kid. You know, you're made of rubber. I, have, I still have a scar on my back from getting like run over by a foot peg or whatever happened. And but yeah, that was my entry into moving on up, you know, was, was welcome, kid. Bonk. Yep. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I, I think it was that next year. I moved up year after year and I won a class, won a class, and then I was in the A class. So that's, you know, expert is A class, which means you're, you know, in theory, you're supposed to be able to go and, and run with guys that can run pro nationals, at least in my district it was, um, which I could not do. A good day for me would be I could finish on the podium when there was only two local pros <laughs> that showed up. So definitely didn't uh, move up, although I was working real hard to do that and I was riding and training with some of the faster um, local pros, obviously, you know, that means someone who, you know, will race and can maybe qualify for a pro national or they'll try, but uh, I never attempted to qualify for pro national ever. I just, uh, timing wise for me, I, you know, did my deal locally and then it was time to decide, Hey, you know, you're about to have to, your high school's done here. You're going to have to get ready to go to college or you're going to be a racer. You're going to be, you know, a bump on a lock. So, well, yeah. And, those are decisions that amateur racers are all faced with at some point where we get to, it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat where I was. It's like, okay, these guys are ridiculously fast and I either have to go to work or I have to try to go that fast. And those guys are way faster than me. So I better go to work. That was my deal. And you know, I mean, you know this, and I think we probably even talked about this, but you know, when you're, it's not like I was some kid, you know, with four or five years old, you know, racing moto with my parents grinding on me to, to keep, you know, winning and giving me heck if I didn't win or anything. That that wasn't my scenario at all. In fact, I got into that considerably later than what it would be normal these days. Yeah. But through junior high, the tail end of junior high, and then I, I guess more through high school than anything, you know, I, I you didn't do jack squat. You didn't as a personal life, you know. So the friends are all like, dude, let's get together and go out. Let's go do this thing. And I'm like, no, it's Friday night. I got to be able to, you know, get my bike ready. You know, first I'd probably have to still practice and ride the bike and then prep the bike on Friday for the weekend. And that meant mm-hmm. you didn't do it. You got up at 4 a.m. to get to the track. And 
I remember at the tail end of it just being like, I just don't want to do, I just don't want to do it. You know? So I wanted a race. I loved being around it, but I think I was ready for a change. And I guess maybe to me, that was, you know, I thought I'd be a pro national guy, but at the point at which I was at that fork in the road, my sort of my motivation told me otherwise, I wasn't willing to do, I think the work to keep, you know, at that point. So that for me, it was a no brainer. I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, sure. So that all came right in line with the graduation of high school. Yeah, I graduated and then I was, you know, racing that year. And as it came to be fall, I was still racing in the, in the A class. But that was the point at which, and I was like, you know, I think I'm done. You're just going to go to college. Yeah, I'm going to go to college. You're going to keep your stuff. No, nah, I don't think I'm going to keep my stuff. So I pulled everything off, you know. And <laughs> I think that's part of my personality. You know, I don't, uh, I like to kind of do things all the way or I don't want to bother. And that's worked against me in life and maybe has helped me in life. But uh, I think that's part of my, you know, part of my personality type or something. Do you still have a dirt bike in the garage? I don't. I don't. I have two street bikes. The last dirt bike I had in the garage was I had a few vintage bikes in the garage. My best attempt to, I'm going to go race some vintage. That sounds awesome. And to me, vintage is like got a disc brake front and back. And I know that that's an insult to the guys that really <laughs> race. But to me, it was like, you know, I can deal with a steel frame bike, but I don't want to have, you know, drum brakes on it. So. Right. And and that's when I was out to see you last, I think you had two of those. One was yeah. one was in pieces and you had one that was yeah. I think pretty much together. Yeah, and you know, again, maybe it goes back to where I don't I it really bugs me when things um I don't know if it's a utilization thing, but if I have a couple of motorcycles or you know, if I have one motorcycle, I'm not riding it and six months go by, I just think, Am I going to ride it? What's gonna change? Am I going to do this thing? And if I'm not, I feel like it needs to go somewhere where somebody's going to love it and use it. And, you know, otherwise it feels like a waste to me. So, sure. Yeah. I'm not going to let Renee listen to this. <laughs> yeah. You got a garage <laughs> and a shed and, a, and you need another shed. And yeah, I get it. <laughs> so we're done. Being, per, I'm a, we're I'm done being friends now. <laughs> she, well, she, you know, she wouldn't like me anyway because I'm weird. But uh, that's one of the things that. That's funny. So you got uh, street bikes. How did you get into riding on the road? What are you riding? What do you got in the garage? You said you have two of them. I'm very familiar with one of them. Yeah. You're going to laugh at the other one. I was always, when I worked at shop, I was down in Texas, right? But when I was down there as a moto kid, you know, and, and then before I know it, I was like, well, I'm not really racing, but I would still do practice days and, and I would go ride off road and, and Texas, Oklahoma, that part of the country to me had some really killer moto and some really killer off road, you know, between sort of the Red River area where like the Red Bull Last Man Standing was, things like that. There were just, you know, great riding areas. So I, at that point, I remember working with customers who had street bikes and being like, good for you, but you're crazy. <laughs> you go right on the street. <laughs> you're not because, you know, I can go do whatever I do off road. and I'm not going to get hit by a rig, you know? Um, and of course, you know, if you're in the shop and working around that business, you lose, you lose customers and it's for exactly that reason. So it was real in a traffic -y area like Dallas Fort Worth where I was, I was certain that even though I would ride, I mean, I had a, I had a street bike license, but, and I would ride occasionally with the owner of the shop, the last shop I was at, on some shop uh, motorcycles. But I would basically be like, no, not my cup of tea. 
um, I think then, you know, by the time I moved out here and I thought dual sports where it's at and had an adventure bike and I've had a dual sport since, and I think that's really definitely a, a great way to go. But I think with a sort of a busy and young family, you know, little kids still, yep. I, you gotta be, you gotta be extra thoughtful of how much of your own time you get. You know, I know it sounds weird, but for me, it's like, I've got to be able to go and get my fix of road or street or, or you know, opera, whatever it is, um, in a couple of hours. I mean, I, I've gone away for some bigger trips, but, you know, to be able to ride, you know, weekly or every couple of weeks, go and do something. Um, I think street's the easy button, you know, and if you're in an area where you're not just right in the mix of horrible traffic that takes away from it all. Yeah. So I guess my first street bike up here was, did I have a different bike? I think my first street bike up here, I moved here with Honda, but then Honda wasn't giving out <laughs> the demo bike at the time. It was in a recession. They're like, no, no, no we've, we're holding on that program. You can't have your gold wing or whatever they wanted to give me. And I had a moto bike, you know, 450 a Honda. Um, but I think because I never got the gold wing that they would have given me and uh, I was just a moto guy, I didn't have anything until I got a 1290 Super Adventure. So that would have been, that's a 2017 model. So that was my first bike. Wow, that that's first? crazy. Yeah. So you had yeah, the, the KTM and I was a little shocked at the switch you made because you went from that <laughs> right to your Goldwing, right? And this is, you're no longer with Honda, but now you're yeah. on your own buying your own Goldwing, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, oh man, you get old and stuff like this happens. I'm told, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But the adventure bike I loved and man, I found, um, just an amazing group of, of guys that were, you know, old enough to be scared of getting hurt, but still stupid enough to go into areas that a big, heavy adventure bike probably shouldn't go and did a bunch of rides with them and really enjoyed it. And then something weird happened to me. I got some weird um, vertigo thing. Uh, just out of the blue one day and was like dizzy all the time. And it took, I don't know, it took several months maybe for me to sort of get back to normal. I have no idea what it was, maybe an inner ear thing, no one ever figured it out, but ultimately it went away on its own and haven't had an issue, you know, knock on wood since. But uh, but because of that, because of the type of riding I wanted to do on the adventure bike, which was like, you know, tight woods, like we go from here where I live, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes outside of Portland, but on the way to the coast. And we're about an hour's drive on the highway to the coast. Okay. And we'd go ride, you know, like maybe 15 minutes from where I live and we'd go off road the entire way to the Oregon coast. And it was, it was nuts, but it was fun stuff and um, really aggressive. You know, it's, it's a coastal mountain range. It's, it's pretty remote out there. So that's, you know, I was doing that and that's the sort of riding I like to do. And with the scare with having to go out of, you know, where the hell that come from. But uh, with that, I was like, I don't know, do I, keep doing that maybe i need to have a bike with lower center of gravity just go get my fix and uh, i remember one day jessica and i were going to go to a winery out here and we rode the adventure bike you know i mean great bike not a fun bike to go wine tasting on and if you <laughs> right you know you're in a big tall bike you've got you're at the tail end of some sort of weird vertigo thing and I thought for sure we we're going to throw the bike down on the gravel parking lot with her on the back and, you know, this wine tasting thing. And I remember being like, I think I need a low seat height something, maybe a bagger is what I was looking at initially. And, uh, yeah, so I started kind of shopping around and 
I don't know, I guess I was making good enough money to say, I'm just going to get another one. And uh, I asked her and she approved and got the, you know, went and looked at a gold wing and just was like, man, what a fun and different ride, you know, and I bet you I could ride that thing all day. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I got it, had both bikes sit in the garage. And before you know it, it was a month, two months and the adventure bike was just sitting there. And for me, it wasn't so much that I didn't like the bike. I love it and love that type of riding. But at the time, I wasn't sure about my my mental acuity and my balance and all that. So I sold it and uh, yeah, just was left with the, uh, with the king of miles, you know, the big Lear jet. I had to turn in my man card for. <laughs> I think they're cool. I mean, I'm a huge fan of gold wings. You know that I have been for a long time. Really like the look of yours. Yours is the 18, right? It's a new body style. Yeah. It's a blue color that you just don't see often. Yeah. Very yeah. good looking bike. I like it a lot. Yeah, it's it's a good look. I remember when I was shopping for them at that point, you know, it was 2018 and I think the 2019 that come out, this ended up being a leftover because at the time there wasn't enough people ready to throw whatever, almost 30 grand at a motorcycle or whatever at that moment. But these were leftovers and in 2018, it was either a white one, the blue one like I got, or there was a dark, a dark red one. At the time, I wanted the white one. I wanted people to see me thinking like they're going to think it's a cop, this white motorcycle. <laughs> but the white was like hard to get or whatever. So I didn't, uh, I went with the blue as sort of my second choice and I like it. Yeah. I, I, and I still love the bike. I ride it, you know, probably every week I go and have a rip around somewhere out here and not even for very long. It might be out for 30 minutes or an hour. Well, and I noticed, um, it seems like just last week or something I saw your wife posted. So she's getting out with you now. I was going to talk about your family, but what's this? Your now I'm like sitting here going, "What's this other motorcycle? What's the other one? What do you have? You have two of them in your garage. What's the other one I want?" To oh know? yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. The other, the other, the story to the other one is that I've got. Uh, I picked up during um, COVID. Um, I picked up a DRZ 400, and I think you knew that. Ah, um, uh, it sounds familiar. But what I found was I never rode it, and the thing sat all through for like a year through the, you know, the second half of COVID or whatever. Plus, I had to go to New York and, you know, spend time with my dad out there. And that, you know, was definitely the, the decision in, in hindsight. Yep. That's the better decision. I'm very happy I did that. But um, but I had that, you know, DRZ sitting there, and it was heavily modded. It, it, you know, it's pretty much any mod that a DRZ nerd can do to them. Um, it, it had done, so it was not good on the street. It was going to be a good off-road bike. But... I just never pulled the trigger and never went and rode with the group of guys I used to ride with. And uh, before I know it, the bike sat for a year and wouldn't start. And I was like, I don't have the time, you know, to, to mess with carb clean and this and that. I'll just sell it. But I ended up getting the carb clean and the uh, thing ran like a top. And I thought, well, maybe I'll keep it. And just right now in life, I think that that bike isn't fitting with my life, at least that type of riding. I, apparently, I'm a street guy only right now or something. And, um, yeah, and I, I put it up for sale, and uh, this guy reached out, and he's like, hey, you want to trade? And I got a bunch of different, re, you know, outreach for guys wanting to trade, and I was like, eh, no. But then I'm like, well, maybe it's something good. Maybe it's something worth more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I've been like, maybe. What is it, you know? And uh, this one guy reached out, and uh, he's like, it's a 2011 Honda Shadow. I'm like, no, no thanks, you know? But but I was like, let me see pictures, you know? Send me some pictures, and uh, I doubt it, though, you know? Send pictures, and it's got some all bars on it you know like mini apes or whatever i don't know if exactly mini apes are right but it's level with my shoulders and uh it's got some super loud Vanson heinz exhaust and um i was like i don't know i was like maybe that thing would sell faster than this drz so i was like maybe and it's worth more money book value sure and i'm like maybe why don't you 
why don't you bring it over and we'll take a look at each other's bikes and just even see if there's interest. And he brought it over and we both went and rode around the block or whatever. And I was like, it's fun. I, I, that's a, you know, obviously like anything else, it's just a motorcycle that's different, you know, it's mm-hmm. exciting and, fun. you know, it's only a 750. And I remember thinking like, I'd never want to ride a 750. I would always want to be on a bigger bore, but the bike's so tiny and so light with those tall bars. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's do this. So now I've got this basically small bore beginner motorcycle <laughs> that I'm going out on every, every time I go on a motorcycle ride lately, Jessica, she's not going with me. She'll be like, uh, I heard you out there in the garage. Did you, uh, do you want to ride? Which bike did you take? And I'll be like, both. I took one and then I came <laughs> back and then, took- so I'm getting my fill. I, I'm still, I'm, I think I'm going to put it up and list it, but it's making me, uh, reconsider is the gold wing something i need or do i need a v-twin or a touring bike so you know it's too early to tell but well what i think you need you got to have the gold wing for when jessica rides with <laughs> okay and then you got to have your own bike for when you just want to go ride by yourself that justifies well, kind of the... two so that's monday that's and right. tuesday so you still got five more options you need to fill <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but you know I say that, and then, of course, my inner workings in my brain make me have only something that I'm going to use, so I would have to be committed to riding seven days a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you like it, and it's not costing you any money to have a you know the bike for when you're riding as a pair and the bike for when you're riding by yourself, that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. What was I going to talk about next? Oh, I wanted to talk about the family. We mentioned Jessica. Like I said, on Facebook, I noticed that... Uh, you guys have gotten out a couple times, which is pretty cool, because you also have smaller children, which are now giant children compared to when I was there last to celebrate yeah. the most awesome two birthdays ever. You should tell us about your family a little bit. Yeah. Well, where does one start, I guess? Um, so when I was here, I moved here with Honda. Yeah, maybe we need to go back to there. So when I met, you were in Texas. Yeah. Uh, you worked with, uh, you were at a dealership, right? And then you... You came on board with Scott. That's where I had met you. I was not involved in the initial interview process, which apparently I was supposed to be. Because <laughs> I hear a different story than I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I definitely, uh, yeah, I'm super nerdy and I overthink things, I think. So I know that um, I worked at shop and I was, I don't want to say getting tired of it, but I was a parts and service manager at a shop and, and right outside of Dallas, Texas. The Yamaha shop, and I feel like we had a may have had Polaris for a minute at that point. I don't know if we still had it because we got them and I think we dropped them or something. But anyway, um, so I worked at a shop, and um, I guess I was looking for what's next, even though I didn't know that at the time. Like I just thought I was, you know, getting burned out on the business, and it didn't really fit my personality to be chained to one physical location all day long. I would always joke and say, "I'm chained to the counter. I'm chained to the counter," because I really, you don't at a shop, you don't a lot of times get away for lunch and. You know, you're you're just at the mercy of is there people or is there projects or whatever and understaffed. You know, a lot of times is, is the name of the game at those retail locations. But but yeah, a friend of mine got me thinking about moving out of shops because he recommended me for a job as an outside sales rep. And it wasn't a Scott job. It was a job with Yamaha. And I went and interviewed and did the whole deal with, with Yamaha. And I remember being, you know, frustrated when I knew I didn't get it. I was getting on the airplane. They didn't tell me that I didn't that I did not get it uh, when I finished the interview with Yamaha. But I remember getting on the plane to go home and being like, nah, I just didn't feel it. And I don't know if I didn't feel it because I didn't want it that much or because I just knew that it maybe weren't the best fit. 
And I feel like it was like immediately after that, like within a day or two, I saw the Scott job and sort of inquired about it and began the ball rolling with that. It was Scott USA. I was looking for a, somebody in the south central part of the U.S. That was where I lived. And I was like, I have no idea what that was, but I was sponsored by Scott, you know, in, in the days, in the moto days. Loved their stuff. Totally. I'm in. You know, but they have me. And uh, yeah, got the, through the process and, and met the, the world famous Primo Morato. Came to interview with me. I think between you and Alex, I think both of you guys were supposed to be a part of making sure this nerd from Dallas Fort Worth <laughs> was going to be the team. And uh, it ended up being just Primo and I showed up in a suit and Primo had cargo shorts <laughs> and a one and I guess he had sneakers probably. I, I joke and say probably flip-flops on or something. I just remember thinking that the difference between how we were dressed, I looked like I was in corporate America and he was like, you know, worked for a surf shop or something. And, uh, and I guess the rest is history. I went to work for, for Scott and traveled around the, the entire South Central U.S., mostly in my little uh, Nissan Frontier and got lots of uh, mileage reimbursements, as you know that program well. I remember the yeah. mileage reimbursements because being in Minnesota, I put on a lot of miles. So, yeah, so it was at that meeting, the nerd was born. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I remember him laughing at me. Stop working, he would tell me. I'd send him an email. It'd be like 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'd get a bed today an idea about a new goggle or I had an idea about a new whatever. You know, put together a sheet about it and send it off to Primo and it'd be 1 a.m. And he'd be like, dude, stop it. <laughs> but he'd only you reply because he was also awake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I did that deal for, um, you know, I guess it was two years. And then that was the end of the program, right? They they start telling us, hey, you guys might want to start looking for a different job. You know, Europe's changing direction. We don't need, you know, whatever we were called. I think I always called us regional marketing managers or something like that. But Yeah, um, and they always had us pegged as salespeople, which I, right. I, I always pointed out right in the beginning when I started there was sales are the wrong term because there's, no, there's nothing to gauge that off of because we sold through right. distribution so we were out supporting reps and shops, and basically we were the guys that just traveled around, gave stuff away, and got to have fun at all the events. We didn't actually show numbers. So when Europe right. changed direction and said, hey, you know, these guys aren't showing any numbers, well, it made sense because <laughs> they couldn't see the entire picture. So, yeah, yeah they, I guess they got rid of everybody pretty much. For somebody to call it sales made sense in a sort of a philosophical way. We could get there mentally, right? It is still always sales because mm-hmm. it all is. Mm-hmm. Definitely to put it under the budgeting and, and expectations of, you know, what would be in a sales line item, you know, somewhere in a, in a, in a budget for the company I get where then that would be a huge issue. So yeah, when they were telling us they were going to unwind that is when I started looking and um, one of the jobs I thought, well, I sure don't have the experience to do this job, but definitely would be interested to learn about this job. And that was um, listening to do, uh, to be a district manager with Honda and the motorcycle division. I remember that. So yeah. that moved you out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, right? Yeah, that moved me. They moved me to uh, to here in, in the Portland, Oregon metro area. And I had all of Oregon, southwest Washington, and um, the greater mass of Idaho. So kind of the southern part of Idaho, you know, not up like Coeur d'Alene and stuff, but the, the most of, of Idaho. So everybody would always joke and say that, oh, yeah, out there you have more fence posts than people mm-hmm. you know, which was we definitely had i had a lot of windshield time i remember once a month i would get in my ridge line or pilot you know whatever honda 
vehicle I had at the time and drive all the way to the other side of the, the district and then work my way back. And I think it was like 13 hours or 14 hours or something to get out there. So Jeez. yeah, I lived on the road for, I don't know, more than half the month. And at some point through the Honda job, is that when you met, that's when you met Jessica? Yeah, she, um, she was uh, friends with a shop owner family. I don't know if you can hear my dogs barking. They're barking for something. Yeah, and they're protecting you. <laughs> attack, attack. That's what so, dogs yeah, do. She, yeah, she was friends with um, a shop owner, a Honda shop owner from the east sort of side of the Portland area. And, um, yeah, they. Um, I think they saw, like, she needed a boyfriend and I needed a girlfriend or something. Was I don't know what they saw, <laughs> but I'll, we were at a place for dinner and I, was, I went with them, you know, as clients, as customers or whatever, dealer, you know dealer representing us in the market sort of thing and she showed up and i'm like oh just a friend of theirs and lives in their part of town and we kind of hit it off and it was hilarious because uh, i was dating at the time and she was dating and i think that's how we bonded initially was telling the horror stories of dating you know at the time it was like match.com and friends hooking you up with friends and it's uh it's a distant memory now but it was definitely at the time it was a really fun way to to get to know someone and share, you know, what a mess those scenarios were and get to know someone else. Yeah, her and I, we hit it off, became friends, and, and yeah, ended up getting together. Yeah, now you have a couple of kids together. Yeah, yeah, she had a little boy when I met her. He's 18 years old now, and he just went off to college, and um, we've got two little together. One is eight and one is 10, so as she likes to say, we still have a long time uh, before we have freedom, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Family and and, uh, and kids is something I didn't really think I'd be able to do. So coming to them late in life and having the opportunity to, to be a dad and uh, be a dad three times was, was yeah, it's the best. That's cool. And and now they're at the age where the two of you can get out, you can go do things, you know, even if it's just for a short little window here and there, at least now it starts yep. to get a whole lot easier for you. So it's yeah, very absolutely. cool. It's funny, my middle, the middle kid. We never tell him that in front of him because he claims he's a middle kid. And we're like, you're not a middle kid. There's no such thing. But he's, you know, he's 10 now, about to be 11. And, you know, I guess legally at that age, you can leave him at home, you know, if you feel confident with their decision-making uh, capabilities. So uh, we don't do it a lot, but sometimes we will. And then sometimes they'll go stay with friends or, or family or whatever. And, and her and I will go out and have a ride on the motorcycle. It tends to be the go-to, like, you want to get on the motorcycle? Now, she's not going to go probably anywhere on it if it's raining so that gives us about half the year here well that's cool i um and i was there for two of their birthdays in the same year which was pretty it was a long time ago but it's funny because both of the kids said it was the best birthday they've ever had so i'm just gonna hang on to that one for as long as i can chalk it up to the chalk it up to the craig factor yeah absolutely (laughs) oh so funny now you live right near their school but is this the plan you're gonna stay out in the portland area you Anything in the works? Anything going on that you guys like, can count on you moving a little closer to the Midwest? Uh, nothing. No, nothing. <laughs> nothing worth uh, mentioning out loud. But you never know. I, I can tell you that there's a lot I love about this part of the country, and then there's a lot I, I'm very torn. Um, there's a lot I love, and there's a lot where I would flip a coin and, and move away if an opportunity presented itself. But uh, you know, currently it would just be a matter of you know if something came together for Jessica with her. Um, with her employment that was a benefit or you know in that way I'm on board and if not we live here so um, yeah nothing nothing sort of in that way 
you know, my job, all my stuff has been, you know, I do real estate here to say, you know, I'm doing air quotes around due for the, for the real estate because I'm newer to real estate and it's, um, you know, it's turbulent times right now with rates and, you know, what's going on in the market, but I have clients and uh, I do real estate here, but, you know, I also do stuff in the motorcycle business and all that stuff's been remote work so I can do it from home. So yeah. that's good. And it's funny for the listeners, just so they kind of know what I'm getting at. I keep sending Brian real estate listings that are closer to here so we could actually <laughs> hang out. I think the last one was just recently, like 75 acres for probably less than you could have, you could sell your house for out there. So other than the winters, I think I'd have a case. Yeah, you'd have to lie. You'd have to be a really good liar about how bad winters are. <laughs> they're totally, they're super light nowadays. They're super warm. Warming. Yeah, global warming, it never even gets to the 20s anymore here. Yeah, no, I'd, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's my personality type, though. And of course, with a family, it's harder to move, you know. But uh, my personality type is to, to experience an area. And I've been here now for, I think, right at 15 years. I was only, you know, 10 years in Texas, but between the two, you know, Texas and here, I've now been away from my home, hometown longer than I lived there. Sure. So I thought that sort of threshold was weird to have crossed because you call a place home, but a lot of places can be home. And definitely when you have a family, it becomes, you know, home is where your where your family is, especially your sort of your core unit, your household, if you will, especially when you got little kids, you know. For sure. We passed over this somehow, or maybe not. Maybe this is the time for it. With like our industry, we're having a hard time finding people. You know that shops are looking for people all the time. I was going to ask, how did you actually get into the industry? What made you go from a rider to to a motorcycle shop guy? Because I think people think it's really hard to get into this industry, but it seems like all you have to do is just really go to your local shop and see if they need help. But how did you do it? <laughs> yeah, well, the joke that you made about move to Minnesota, the winters aren't that bad. The winters in upstate New York are why I got into the motorcycle business. And obviously, I could have got in the motorcycle and snowmobile and snow, whatever, blower business in New York. <laughs> but that area, that whole sort of upstate area, compared to, you know, a bigger city, especially a bigger southern city and the city with maybe some better um, economy happening. But that's, um, I was, I worked for FedEx after, you know, kind of during the tail end of my college life and did a couple of few years there. And as a courier at FedEx in upstate New York, I loved the job. It was kind of like, I'm out and about, I'm doing my thing, you know, I'm seeing all the sights and smell all the smells, you're driving around, you're in the mix, you know, but then it starts snowing in the fall, you know, and then it started being icy and snowy and then you get into a fence and then you get written up for it and my feet are always wet and cold, you know, stepping in puddles and so the joke was that, yeah, I, FedEx showed me that I needed to not live where there's too much snow for too long. <laughs> a friend of mine um, from high school um, was down in Texas working at a shop. And of course, I would talk to him occasionally and he'd be like, what's going on? Da, da, da. I'm like, I freaking hate the snow. And it became a whole, well, if you want to come down to Louisville, Texas, which is you know, just up north of Dallas-Fort Worth. And he was at a pretty killer shop down there. It was a, a new um, Yamaha, what they call the pilot store. You know, so it was a Yamaha only, had all kinds of cool trade dress and branding. It was unique for them. That was you know, sort of the... They had first started off, I think, you know, maybe a year or two prior to that. And it was a new store, a lot of, you know, excitement around it. And it was, you know, just out of that busy, busy DFW metro area. So he asked me a couple of times, I think. And then one time I was like, tell me about it. Tell me what that would look like. Before you know it, I was packing up a, a Penske truck with my KX250 and my, uh, <laughs> I don't know, my, my dresser and my bed. I mean, literally, I had probably, you know, the average size box truck. 
and there was plenty of room. I had nothing, you know, a kid, I was 20, whatever, four years old and had nothing to move. That was, you know, it was refreshing to think about to be that clean and just mobile. But uh, yeah, moved down there and, and started doing that. My first job down there was a service rider. I didn't, uh, you know, I barely could work on my own motorcycle, but I thought, oh, it looks like a fun job. Well, it wasn't a fun job. It was a horrible job. You know, you're you're dealing with everybody with their brand new bike and yeah, fighting. they're saying, what do you mean my first service isn't free? Let me, I need to talk to the sales guy that sold me this, you know, and what do you mean this isn't covered under warranty when the back brakes are, you know, not working and I've only got 10,000 miles on it or whatever, you know. So it was a, you get a steep learning curve in that. And I, I definitely have a lot of uh, empathy for anybody that works in the service side of the business. I think I did that for like maybe a year and then went over to the parts side of the business. So you did parts service like, dealerships. What's that? Yeah. And I, I like parts better, you know, at that point, cause I could talk about fun stuff, you know, like open the dream book, you know, open the Tucker or the parts or the Western book, um, motorcycle stuff back then. Right. You know, all these yeah. different, different things that may not exist anymore, but uh, some do and uh, open in the books and, and somebody comes in with a problem and, and we, you know, the parts department, you solve it by opening a book more likely than not, you know, you might have this stuff on the wall, but it was more about wrapping their head around the future. And I'd always say like, you know, what do you want to put on that bike? Don't you need this? You know? And uh, it was a lot of fun. I liked that quite a bit. That's something I, that part, I do still miss that part of it from dealership is that uh, sort of parts person um, side of it. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. So saying you did that, then you went to the Scott gig and then you were with Honda and then you kind of left the industry for a minute. If I'm not mistaken, you went into the automotive side. Yeah, I ended up at Mannheim, but so I left dealership, and I don't even put it on my resume, but I went to work. Um, when I left Honda, I did nothing because Honda had a voluntary separation, and I, for me, the Honda sort of those days, and that was during the recession, the, the deal at Honda for me was not a good fit. You know, I was looking for the win-win. How do I help these dealers succeed? That was sort of where my brain was always at, and, and Honda was, you know, ruled with a little bit more of an iron fist, at least in those days. You know, it's more about like you have, you only have five VTXs on the floor. Maybe you need five more. Why don't you take five more? Are you trying to upset the market share? You know, so I left um, there, even though I had some really good times and definitely a great learning experience at Honda. I think um, for me, the fit wasn't great. So I left when they had a, you know, during the recession, they had a voluntary separation offer to anybody who wanted it because they didn't want to have a layoff. Um, so I took it and did, the, you know, I was supposed to do nothing for a year. Um, you know, they paid you for a year to go away, <laughs> basically go Out find yourself. Out of the industry new... completely? Well, they, I think it, I, you know, I'd have to think back. I don't think it mattered. I don't think they really cared. It was just, you know, go do something else. And, you know, they were paying, they were paying you for a year not to be there to have left. Huh. So, I, yeah, I don't remember the details of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I left, I remember thinking like, man, I could do anything I want to do. I could go learn an instrument and start a band. Like, you know, <laughs> things that. You think about like, what, what all would I want to do if I could just have money and do whatever I want? Well, what I did was threw my motorcycle in the back of my truck and drove down to Phoenix and rode with a friend of mine and hung out and went to Temecula and hung out with a friend of mine and rode my motorcycle. And I was like, this is awesome. But I started, it started bugging me. I think maybe a month in to a year, it started bugging me that I didn't have anything going on, but I wasn't sort of, uh, doing anything to solve problems, you know, my, mine or, or anybody else's. And I started thinking, man, if I wait a whole year, then what? I'm running out of money. 
and I'll get something. Right. So, you know, so I wasn't real. I still really wasn't looking. I was still lounging. This was maybe a month or two into into that. And well, a mutual friend of ours was like, "Hey, Western Power Sports is looking for somebody." And I was like, "Cool. Could I do it from Oregon?" And they're like, "No. You'd have to go to you'd have to go to Boise." And I said, "Well, maybe. What is the job?" And there was a couple jobs. I was like, "Yeah, I'll interview for him and see what that looks like." And I did and, and got offered a job. And I was, you know. They called it many things, but I think it was called a sales manager at the time. I mean, it was for fly. So depending on the meeting and who's in attendance, they would say, oh, Brian's the national sales manager. Although I don't think, you know, I never really brag on that on a resume because I really was just more of a national motivator and sure. national um, complaint taker. You know, when I talked to all the reps in the country and tried to help them uh, know the, the fly product. And um, it was a lot of, I had a lot of fun, met some really killer people there in Boise and, and tried to live out there. I was there, I think I was there a little less than a year. And, um, and that, you know, to say it wasn't working out was more for personal reasons. It wasn't the company. Uh, they had a lot of good stuff going on, but um, came back here. And then, um, yeah, I ended up with National Power Sport Auctions. It was a shift for me to go from, you know, dealership operations to, you know, to uh, district manager to, you know, and then over to fly. And then before I know it, I was working with NPA and that was a lot of fun. You know, it was a whole different sort of chapter. I would laugh and people are like, so what are you doing in the motorcycle business? I'm like, yeah, now I do this. And they're like, oh, is that, you know, so what did you start out doing? And I'm like, no, it's like Forrest Gump. I, I've done probably like you, you know, you get a lot of uh, sort of layers of things that make perfect sense for a transition or to bring to the table for a new employer. But I look back and I laugh at the, you know, I went to work in the auction business and I went to work in the auto auction business after that. So, yeah. That, that was my that was me trying to leave the business. <laughs> I was going to work for, for Mannheim here in the, in, the, in Oregon and managed at one of their auctions and it was a steep learning curve there. And that seems to be the the flavor of life for me is is jump into steep learning curves and you got a little bit of comfort, but you know it's a ninety nine one percent the comfort side and um, yeah. Then we went. Uh... I got you hired away from there for a stint with a company that we both worked at again, Rojo mm -hmm. out of Illinois. And then mm -hmm. you went back, which was a lot of travel. And I don't think either of us expected the amount of travel from where you yeah. were to the East Coast. And <laughs> right. So it made yeah. sense because it was like all day to get one direction. And mm -hmm. then you had a very little boy at home around that time. And then you went to online trader, right? Yeah. Wasn't yeah. When you were, were there for a long time. I was there almost seven years. That was, um, I, I don't know, that was the longest sort of employment at one place I ever had. And within that time, a lot changed there and the company got bought out and a lot, a lot changed. But yeah, for me, it was like, you know, I don't want to work in a dealership. I love dealerships. I want to be around dealerships. I don't, I don't think I have the toughness to put up with what dealership folks put up with day in and day out all week long, you know, part of the weekend, if not the whole weekend, you know, the deal. So, yeah, when, when I saw the, the listing, it's funny because, you know, I don't know, not to get way in the weeds. I don't know if I'm going to kill your time expectations on this call telling just too much or whatever. But <laughs> I have no rules. Like, okay. So I always think about, I like to try to pay attention and look for coincidences. I don't know if it's something my mom told me um, or if it's just something that I picked up on or sort of a family concept, you know, is, you know, like, I don't know, trader. When I went to look at a trader job in my area it was like you know regional salesperson for trader and it was cycle trader rv trader yada yada i was like interesting well, let me see and i put in for that online and um, a recruiter contacted me i feel like it was either i think it was on linkedin maybe 
reached out and said, hey, you know, I appreciate you, you know, applying for this. I'm involved with the process here for them to see if candidates move on. And here's my hang up for you. You don't have advertising experience. And that's what this job is. You're selling advertising. And I was like, okay, well, what is it? I'm sure I can figure it out. So I'd never worked, you know, in that of, of advertising, but I understood generally and loosely the things that dealers did having worked at Honda, you know, what did they do? What didn't they do? Which changes all the time, you know, to advertise and to brand themselves and, and how do they spend their money and why. And But this recruiter guy, I remember him just being like, yeah, I don't know. And then he went cold. You know, I don't think, I don't think I heard from him in a little bit. And uh, um, so I was looking for something that would keep me home more, you know, that. And I remember then we went to that show with Airhawk, with where was that in Chicago? Where the heck were we? And there was no no actual dealer came. It, it, deal it was insane. It was well, I guess it was around the holidays or something too, right? So we went to Chicago. It was like a ghost town where we're talking to other local booths that are set up near us. You know, between you and Steve and I and I think Chris, like we were all there. And um, I went over to the Cycle Trader booth just because I wanted to get a feel for like if something were to come together with this, like what are these people like? What are, you know, what are they, you know, is there anybody here that does that job where they could be like, dude, red flag, you know, like, and I'm like, great, good thing nothing happened with it. And I went over and the, uh, I told the guy that I first talked to, I was like, hey, I applied for a job with Cycle Trader. I'm curious, is there somebody here that does that job I could sort of bounce, you know, questions off of? And he's like, yeah, where you live, whatever. And he's like, yeah, actually the hiring manager's here. And she was a regional or something at the time. So he called her over and I got to meet the, she knew my name because it came across as a list of candidates, I guess, but I still hadn't passed the recruiter portion. Sort of there's, there's even more to the story. I won't bore you with it all, but to me, it was like, you know, I would see things that maybe lined up as being unlikely to have happened. And I would always imagine that those things um, were indicators of um, sort of God or the universe, whatever your beliefs are. The favor that you're, you know, you taking action and you're moving in the right direction, you're getting made aware of it if you're paying attention, that you've gotten movement, that you've gotten, you know, sort of, I, I, you know, it's not like I think God's, you know, shining the spotlight down and saying, you know, here is your treasure. But I do think that, <laughs> right? you know, I do think that you can, you know, pay attention and notice things that are unlikely. And there was that plus the more um, that, that had occurred. And I was like, this is a lot. And then, of course, it all came together. I went to work there and I loved it because I was home every night. I think, you know, occasionally I go work a show somewhere in Nashville or wherever. And But otherwise, I was home every night, which is what my family needed, you know, at that time. So, yeah, I did that for almost seven years. That's crazy. Yeah. All while also forming and coming up with the Dealership Fix It podcast. So I don't know if any of my listeners listen to that. But Brian has his own dealership fix it podcast where I'll let you tell the premise of the show how it started. And now there's a couple of different things. You have what we'll call the normal episode, and then you also have the heartburn to heartbeat. So mm -hmm. tell us how the show started and then where you see that going now and then why heartburn to heartbeat. Um let me go back in my mental time machine. I I know that I started listening to podcasts and um, you know, I mean like I think with the rise of someone like Joe Rogan, you know, and then somebody's ability to say, dang, I can't listen to three hours of something. But knowing that I listened to stuff as I did things, like I'd be in the car traveling for work, and instead of listening to the radio, you know, hearing the bad news and then the song and then some more bad news or whatever, I liked the idea more of ideas. You know, I like to hear people that are thrashing out ideas and sort of talking about them and, 
you know, I'm no brainiac, but I like the idea of hearing somebody. Else. And of course, to me, the whole time I'd be like, yeah, I feel like I want to get right in this car. I want to be part of this conversation. I just definitely felt like, you know, discussion of ideas and, um, and people talking about things in sort of that longer form. I was like, man, wish we had something like that for power sports. And there was a few podcasts, if you were at the time, this was in like 2018. And if you searched, you would find, I don't know, some online magazine had a podcast that was 10 minutes long and they would talk about a new whatever press release or a new part that came out. It was very scripted. And um, it definitely wasn't what I would want to listen to as a listener. And it definitely didn't fill the void. Of, you know, of course, that's, you know, at this point, that's what it was that I saw this void of here's something I'd want to listen to that's in the realm I really care about. And I feel like some people might like to listen to that. And of course, for me, it was like, because when I was younger in the business, you know, this many years in, I've got a certain amount of information I've built up and experiences, you know, through the years. And I thought, man, that, that probably should exist. But but it doesn't not. Am I just not searching right? And I remember looking and it was a few months or whatever, maybe it was a year. And um, yeah, it, it, nothing like what I thought should be out there was there. Mm-hmm. And um be very broad. I didn't want it to be like parts only podcast, you know, or I wanted it to be like, talk to a CEO of something, talk to a business person, talk to a distributor rep, talk to a parts guy, talk to a, you know, a multi-line dealership, you know, CEO or whatever. I wanted it to be very diverse so that anybody at the dealership could get a, a, a feel for what the business is like. Do I want to be in that business? So I'm in this business. Where the heck would I go next? What's out there for me? And then I remember, so it was probably the end of 2018, and I may be wrong in my timelines here without looking at it, but I know that at one point, it's your fault. I know at some point it's your fault <laughs> because I think I told you, and then you held me accountable and started sending me shit like, here's a anchor.fm. You can just do a podcast right on your phone. Why don't you just do that? I feel like that's how it started. And I think I think it was that very beginning of 2019 that I was like, well, it doesn't exist the way I think it should exist. So I'll just try to do my best to fill the void that I think, you know, feel, you know, might might need to exist. And then I was thinking, well, if somebody else comes in and does it and does it better, then good for them. And if not, I'll do it. And if it's fun, I'll keep doing it. And if it continues to be fun, um, I'll do it. And maybe by the time I get to about 100, I'll know if I'm any good at it. Right. So, so off I went, you know, with the... Uh, Urging, the urging of uh, of Craig and been told that I should just go do it and then held accountable. And I don't remember. It's a blur now, but I remember that was kind of what started me out. And you're at, I mean, have you hit 100 yet? I think you're right around like, I, I know you've done That's 75 it. for some reason. Yeah, 80 something. I'm at 80 something. Okay. So I'm not there yet. And as you know, because you do these, it's funny. The joke is everybody's got a podcast, right? Right. And I'm all, I think that I like what the things I like about podcasts, right, are that to some degree it's immortalized. The conversation is immortalized, you know? Like I think, man, I would have loved it if my dad did one of these. My mom did one of these, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not that I do these so my kids will hear it one day, but I think that, you know, if they did, it'd be pretty awesome to hear some insights or be surprised to learn that it exists. You know, in the conversation, even if it's not about family, you know, even if it's about what they do or what they enjoy or they're passionate about, there's a, there's a lot to that. So initially it was like, I just want to, I'm having all these conversations with dealers all the time and, you know, at power sports and RV dealerships predominantly. And I remember thinking some of these conversations are awesome. I would like to just record some of these, but the reality is, right. It's hard. Yeah. Not everybody, not everybody wants to be recorded. 
not everybody is the same when they're recorded. And you and I both know that you try to be loose and open and just, you know, conversational and, and your real self. But, you know, it's like if somebody stood in front of you with a video camera, as much as you want to try to be just you, you they're the reality of, of being immortalized with whatever you're about to say or do. Um, you know, puts a little bit of an asterisk in the back of your head, I think. So. Sure. Never thought of it that way, but yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> now, I know you yeah, took so, a break in there yeah, somewhere. A couple, I'd say. So, you know, it's, and not doing it to make money, doing it because I thought maybe it should exist in these conversations. I really wanted to have conversations and I wanted to take people who I got to know a little bit about or I knew from a friend of a friend or I knew I saw their stuff online and getting them to tell a story and maybe it'd be a little bit different and somehow unique and maybe it'd be something where the story had a benefit, a takeaway from the listeners and maybe it helps that person. Maybe that person having told that story, then if they feel like they did a good job and they share it with somebody, you know, it's a way for them to uh, to not have to feel like they're telling their tale. It's they're They're just handing over a link. You know, here's me telling about myself or telling about how I built my company or what we do differently or whatever in that way. So I, I really like the, plat- the the idea of, you know, the audio only recordings. I know that uh, the trend is definitely moving quickly to be video and audio, but I really, what I still really like about podcasting, I think is that I hear from people pretty frequently and they say something that if I were to generalize it into one uh, lump, it would be like, yeah, I listened to your podcast or a couple of your episodes the other day when I was working in the garage or I was working in the yard or name that thing, something where they were doing something else. Yeah. Multitasking, you know, they plugged their ears in, which I really appreciate that somebody would actually take the time and click the button to be like, well, let's see if this guy's best worth a shit. Who knows, you know, but to listen to those things. And then they say like, you know, shoot, I don't think I made it to the end of your thing because by the time I got, you know, halfway, three quarters there, it got me thinking if they say something like that to me, it's like gold. Yeah, because for sure. If somebody gets in the creative mindset by listening to whatever the ideas, that's really what I'm after is ideas and thrashing them out and getting creative. If that happened, you know, and somehow the podcast or my words or my guest words or whatever got them in that space, that's, that's what it's all about for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're in the 80s, which I can say is I can see now is how, how difficult that is. Mine Mine has been on hold since probably, you know, I try to pre-record a bunch and then get them all posted so they, you know, they publish automatically, but I just ran out of time this summer. So now I'm trying to get with everybody that said they'd come on and I have, like I said, I get bios from everybody. So I got yours and I got two other ones here to go through that I got this week. And then, you know, I have some more people coming on, but I don't think I'm going to hit my goal for the year unless I start releasing them every single week, but we'll see how that goes. Not a big deal. Yeah. Say this is not a for financial gain thing. This is just me trying to introduce the world to my friends and hear your stories. And you know, I get yeah. we get to hear a lot of cool stuff on the road, and that's kind of how this came about too. It's just people, you know, telling me stories and sharing things. It's like, man, you know, this stuff needs to be out there for people to hear because yeah, and and you're a lot of the guys and gals you talk to are amazing and and you're so inquisitive anyway that it's obviously a no-brainer that i mean that's why everybody can do and seems to be doing some sort of a podcast right if if there's something that they enjoy right anybody can do it the hard part i think this is my own take right take it or leave it is not everybody's really good at it and i don't know that i'm good at it but i know that you're good at it because i think you're so inquisitive um you really want to know 
But the hardest part about doing it and the thing that in hindsight and now that I've done it for a few years, a couple few years, is knowing that anybody that's doing this isn't just, it's not a, you press a button and a conversation goes out to the masses. I mean, that's really the distribution nowadays, but how many phone calls and texts did it take Yeah, in conversations did it take to settle on a date and time to record it, right? That seems very simple, yep. but yep. life is definitely has a way of putting things in front of a nonsensical podcast conversation, right? So everyone you hear, I, I have a, a huge amount of, of appreciation for knowing that not everyone, but a lot of them can be very difficult. People will tell you, yes, this is the day, this is the time. You'll clear off your time for it. You'll dial them. And, and they'll be like, oh, shoot, you know what? I just realized I have this other thing. I can't. Can we do this another day? Well, sure. You're smiling as you're like flipping off the phone or, you know, like <laughs> pulling your hair out because you purposely set up your stuff, your notes. You did a little homework on them. It's all stuff that you can use later. But I, I have a newfound uh, definitely appreciation for, I don't know, if a, if a guest goes on a TV show or something, you know, they have a whole department that books those people and, and make sure everybody's on and they've got backups so they don't waste time. Like I get at that level they can do that. When you're a podcast recorder, it's like flip a coin. Or is that person going to be able to get on there and you be able to have a conversation? So it's it's a, it's a lot to just even get it accomplished, I guess, is all, all in all I'm saying. It is. It is. <laughs> on that note of getting it all accomplished, have I missed anything? Are there any notes that, I mean, did I miss anything in your bio, anything we need to talk about? I always like to ask that question. So if there's something you wanted to say that I didn't ask the question or whatever, that we can get it out. Oh, I don't know. I think, you know, I would say not. I think there's, you know, everybody's life is, is a, a whole lot of pages and a whole lot of chapters if we're lucky. But um, I don't know if there's anything vital that I would feel bad about, you know, just part of more of a different story if we didn't get there. Sure. Okay. Well, that, of course, brings me to my favorite part of the show, the five questions. Are you ready? What if I don't have the answers? You have to have an answer. The beautiful <laughs> thing, and one thing you didn't mention about doing podcasts is editing. Like yeah. I said, I don't want to edit. Yeah, yeah, that's not possible because <laughs> some of these questions, I've had people literally go 30 seconds to a minute of silence. They'll go, oh. So you can so you can um, make me really on it. You can have ask the question and I'm right into it. Yeah, so we'll fool, I fool people all the time and make you think you got these answers dialed up. But I can tell you that most people, when they answer the question, that's exactly what they do. They go, oof. And then they wait for a while and go, that's a good one. Um, never thought about that. <laughs> and if any of the listeners are being honest with themselves, when I ask the questions, they're doing the same thing. So it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So here's the first one. Are you ready? Number one, what purchase of a hundred dollars or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? A hundred dollars or less. You say in the last six months? Yes. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? Yeah, you're going to have to edit the gap here because I'm thinking. <laughs> um, I'm in my office and I'm looking around my office if anything jumps out at me and nothing in my office jumps out at me. Um, I feel like it's nonsensical stuff. Like... Um, Today, I went, I mean, not that this is going to impact my life the best, but today I went on Amazon and ordered a replacement garage door keypad for the outside of the garage door because ours is dead. And I feel like it's nonsense, things like that, 
but I don't. I wouldn't say it's a huge impact in the last six months. So what would that be? Six months. You know what I got, and I think it's probably been six months, and it was maybe less than a hundred, but I don't remember. It might have been more than fifty. Was um, for my car. There's a company that makes a phone stand that's charger, mm-hmm. and they make them for motorcycles too, right? But every time I get in the car. And I don't have to like plug my phone in. I don't have to do all this rigmarole. I just literally lean it up and the magnet grabs it. So it's charging it and it's magnetized. That's the hot, the hot ticket. Cool. So that, I don't know if it's life changing, but I can tell you that it's given me every time I get in the car, I'm like, that's nice. That's, oh, that's awesome. And one thing I'll point out that I probably haven't pointed out in the past. When I ask the question, I offer zero assistance. Because there's so many, when you listen to a lot of podcasts, they'll be like, okay, so what was this thing $100 or less? Was it uh, something like going out to dinner? Was it something like this small thing you bought your wife? What was it? You know, like it's all your idea. So they're just trying to not have to edit the. Well, I was going to ask you if you could come back to it, but I'm sure you won't let me do that. No, no. These are supposed to be on the spot stumpers making you think. Okay. This one you've probably heard. Question number two. What is the best advice you have gotten as a motorcyclist? Um, act, act as though everyone's trying to kill you. Something along those lines, right? So if you're out riding, especially on the street, and not so much maybe for off-road and what, but when you're on the street, don't go on the street if you're not at, at high alert mode. I'm not saying be freaked out, but you need to figure out the level of conscious awareness and live in that zone. And if you're tired or you've been drinking or whatever, not me. I don't do it. I, I go out when when I can be confident that, you know, my head's on a swivel. I'm aware of what's around me. Act like everybody out there is trying to run you over because we know some electric cars with autopilot might be ready to do that. That's been happening. So. <laughs> that has been happening. Okay. Th- that's a good answer. Question number three. Do you have a quote you live your life by or that you think of often? Yes. It's one that my mom said, and I I don't know that it's word for word, but this is how I remember it. It was that if you don't ask, you'll never know. And I remember being a kid, and it stuck with me because I already had a little mini bike, and um, we were driving by going to wherever, the store, which was like 30 minutes away. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. But I remember going to the store, and we drove by an area, and somebody had what you see out in the country is is the little dirt bike leaning on a tree with a handwritten for sale on the paper plate or whatever, basically. And um, I remember being like, ooh, dirt bike, you know, being excited. And, and uh, she pulled over. And I was like, what are we stopping for? And she's like, well, don't you want to go and ask how much it is? And I was like, thinking like, what? Is there, is there a chance? <laughs> you know, no idea. I just was excited. <laughs> and she pulled over. And she said, if you don't ask, you'll never know. And there's obviously many variations on that. I don't know exactly that's word for word, but that yeah. always stuck with me. I tell my kids the same thing. But you, as a parent, you got to talk out of both sides of your mouth. Quit asking me all the time. Quit asking for stuff. At the same time, <laughs> if you don't ask, you'll never know. Figure that out. Oh, that's funny. Okay, question number four. What is one thing that is on your anti-bucket list, meaning something you'll never do again? Oh, I had to have done it already. Yeah. I was, as soon as you said that, I thought, I know what the answer is, but then it has, I had to have done it. Well, I'm going to tell you the answer that I thought I was going with. And then as I'm saying it, maybe I'll think of the right answer. Okay. My answer, as soon as you were saying that, before we get to the end of the question, would be that is I don't ever want to jump out of an airplane. 
<laughs> I mean, unless I have to, I'm a plane crashing or something. Because I remember being a young man and thinking, man, that sounds awesome. That'd be awesome to do that. You know, just full of adrenaline and think that'd be awesome. And then maybe it's as I got older and had kids and stuff. And I started thinking like, I feel like that would be a lot of aggravation and stress. I could do it. I know I could do it. And I know I was excited at one point in my life about doing it. But at this point, I think if somebody said, you know, you'll never be able to jump out of a plane in your life. And here's why. And I'd be like, good. So that's, that's definitely something I, I don't, I don't want to do. And I would say if there were a bucket list of things not to do, I'd put it on there. You know? <laughs> okay. Um, to answer it correctly. It's a brand new question. So yeah, it's, there's some gray area here on how this should be asked and answered. Um, I waited 12 years to go to the dentist. I wouldn't recommend that. I wouldn't do that again. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I took care of my teeth. Uh, but once my kids were born, everything was about them. And then once they got old enough to go to a dentist, Jessica would be like, Hey, you should make a dentist appointment or do you want me to make one for you? And I'd be like, eh, I don't want to go. You know, before I know it, it was right. like a long time. I started getting worried. Like I grew up without fluoride in my water, you know, I lived drinking out of a well. And I was like, I feel like they're going to say all these teeth need to come out. So I waited, <laughs> and waited and just went like last week. And, uh, they were like, surprisingly, you must take really good care of teeth. There's a couple issues, but. Three hours later, sitting in the chair with, you know, different work needed to be done. But, uh, yeah, I will never do that again. Okay. The final question, question number five. What is your favorite documentary or movie? Documentary or movie? Um, there's a lot of them, and I do like documentaries. I like documentaries that would be about history, like they have that Men That Made America, you know, deal, and it, mm-hmm. it shows old times and the steel mills and and that would and be a series that, right yeah the, and, and i would count that i mean that's legit okay, you know, okay. If it's i would, a say, series, that, that's I would fine. say something along those lines i like to uh i don't i'm not into like sci-fi stuff so i would say something that is either legit this is at least what that storyteller's version of this events are and it tells you that things to do with history especially to do with some of the bigger players, you know, in the creation of a country or a company or uh, those sort of things, um, you know, this behind the scenes, what we don't normally get taught, that would be that. And as far as movies, I like just stupid movies. Like I like, I like office space and I like super troopers. And those are just like, I don't know, pothead movies, you know, that kids like that are stoned will watch, but they are hilarious. And um, yeah, I like sort of that nonsensical. Yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. I think that's it. What, uh, do you have any asks or requests from my audience or any final parting words? Um, yeah, maybe I would say just from my own uh, perspective, you know, sometimes, especially with all the COVID stuff, we all go through some shit and we all go into a place where our, we're not uh, maybe being creative or doing things that are fulfilling us and um, we get into some rough spots. Um, I know that for me, I had a big gap in, in doing podcasts and a lot of things. And, and I heard lots of people tell me similar stories during COVID. So, you know, as, as probably you would say to a lot of people that are your friends, you know, through example, as more than you'd say it would be, you know, look out for your health, work on making that better, get your mind right, think about the good stuff, think about where you, you know, what you appreciate, not the bad stuff, because man, we are living in a time where we are, to say inundated is definitely not even enough word right with the bad stuff so um yeah i would say you know from from my perspective and and probably yours i would say just anybody hearing this if you're in that sort of a place and you're having a rough time reach out to friends that will uplift you 
people like Craig or, you know, if I had that position in someone's life, I'd be honored, you know, to be someone who could help them get the bad stuff out of their mind or work on it or be help them be accountable to that. I would say find people in your life to help you do that. That's pretty cool. And uh, I have definitely found that in you. I know we've had to get each other through some pretty rough times. So I, I appreciate yep. you a lot. Great yep. final words. Where can we follow you? Oh, man, I got lots of social stuff. I mean, on, on Facebook, I'm, you know, Brian Croft. I've got um, a real estate page, though, and I've got a dealership fix it. Um, I would say just search that. Um, that seems to be maybe where I spend the most time because that's the labor of love makes me no money, but I enjoy doing it. I enjoy helping people get their conversations out. It would just be a, a dealership fix it on, you know, any podcast place, but also uh, Instagram and LinkedIn, any of these places. Look for the Facebook group. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just, uh, you know, Croft 315 in a lot of places. So Cool. I will put all of those in the notes below. Um I think that's all I got. I'll make sure I, I get the, the links so people can follow you and we should be good. Folks, if you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. And of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. And of course, thank you again, Brian, for coming on the show. Thank you, Craig. Appreciate it.